now it is. Okay, good morning. Um, so I think everybody in here has been in this class before, but um, we are going through the book God is Stranger by um, Chris Kadaya, and we are on chapter 6 this week, which is David and the Stranger. And it says, The God who used to turn up, in which an angry king calls out to a stranger because there are more giants to slay, and we judge how hard it is to love our enemies. Um, okay, so we're going to read a fair amount this morning, but um, we'll start with a thought first. So um, the first, the chapter opens up and starts talking about um, this dream that Krishkadaya had when he was dreaming that he was drowning and he couldn't get his head above water and then he goes into that feeling of um, being overwhelmed, barely being able to keep your head out of water. So um, it can be in a more shallow way or a deeper way. Does anybody want to share an experience where they felt really overwhelmed or like they were on the verge of drowning in something? Anybody? At work, with kids? In our house. Me with our house, yeah. We're buying a house. Oh. I am up to here. <laughs> Anybody else have a... Well, tell us. What's... You open up. You open up. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. So, um, a, so just a smidge, little window into me. Um, I am extremely Type A and need control of everything, um, which is something I'm constantly con God constantly teaches me. I don't have control of anything, but. Um, we are buying a house that is a new construction, and so A, it's con been continuously delayed, and I don't have any control of what's going on in that house or with the house, and our um, sellers are very poor at communication, and so it's just like... They're new to this. They're new. They're, they are new in this industry. Um, we found out after we were under contract. But um, so just like the lack of control and then watching them do things wrong and watching them, oh, it's going to be another two weeks. Oh, it's going to be another two weeks. It's been a quite an overwhelming process for me. So. Well, I'm just going to take you a tip having gone through a little bit of this. Pretty much anything you're told in terms of time frame. <laughs> Added Throw it out the window. 50% to it. <laughs> yeah. I was saying, yeah. it, and I've just come to that conclusion because I think if they feel like they really told people how long it would take, the people would never do renovations or build houses. Right. I mean, I'm serious. I, and totally. I mean that. I'm not, I, I just, I really Well, think there's so many unexpected things that right. happen. Weather, yeah. inspectors, Weather whatever. <laughs> yeah. Inspectors always are <laughs> I'm just saying, they, they know that. I'm just yeah. Saying, yeah. I'm not, I'm not. Dog and all that industry, you've got good people that work in the industry. Yeah. Just, I honestly think they're never going to get a reservation if they tell you how long it's going to take. Well, we, I felt that way when we were, I thought I was having one baby and I found out I was having three. <laughs> <laughs> so we had three babies instead of just one. And I was totally unprepared. I knew nothing about anything about babies. And uh, I thought it was going to be, I don't know if we're in the hospital when they tell me, oh well, that's <laughs> one more. And, more, and, more. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, uh, you know, we brought them home. 
home one at a time. It just kept getting harder and harder. And I just, it was just so hard to take care of three babies at once. And, uh, you know, no sleep. And, uh, but, and just the, one of the most difficult part was realizing that having a baby was supposed to be such a blessing. But when you have three and it's just so intense and, you know, just those feelings like, why, why me? You know? <laughs> and real, and you know, and then just the marital tension from that because, uh, you know, my husband was at that stage where he was building his career, working so hard. And then, you know, and he worked so hard when he was at home too. Uh, but still, you know, like you look at five o'clock and they start crying and you're just like, he's late. He's late. <laughs> <laughs> not coming home for a while. I'm not paying him. And uh, so it, it caused some tension and, and uh, just a lot of struggling within me mainly not having anybody to talk to about it because you know this is look there are lots of people who don't have any children and you've got three you know just that whole thing was a very difficult yeah situation yeah at the same time wonderful but it was the same, right you know it's just exhaustion I'm glad you shared that because I think the, the biggest point of what you said there was it was supposed to be a blessing and then it turned into something overwhelming. So hold on to that because we're going to come back to that. Anybody else have an example they want to share? I had, I had a night the other night. We, um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you hit somebody again? Oh, that's one time. <laughs> um... So, anyways, we're foster parents, and it was our anniversary. We're at the Hermitage, got babysitter, <laughs> and anyways, Tony's. And we left the Hermitage. It was after hours thing. Left there, and then we're like, "What should we eat?" Ring, ring. My phone rings. We have a baby, a 15-month-old. We need to bring him right now. And it was this is like 8 I said, okay, my two babies are at home. They're hopefully getting to be asleep. So we go, I'm like, rushing the rug, get the pack and play ready. I'm ready. And it's midnight, and then it's one. And I'm thinking about the next day, like, it's going to be rough. And uh, <coughs> anyway, so they brought him, and he wouldn't go to me. Our house is tiny, 1,200 square feet. My kids are asleep before, too. They wake up, then they're going to be up the rest of the day. <laughs> and uh, so he's crying, 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 crying. Wouldn't go to me. Wouldn't go to sleep. The lady wouldn't leave. Um, so I was just like, Tony is going to kill me, my husband. <laughs> if, I, if I wake all these kids up, and I'm going to have to like say, I can't take this baby. So anyways, I put him in the car. It's literally now 3 a.m. I put him in the car, because there's nowhere to go in our house. And I just drove on the interstate. And I was like, how am I going to do this? If he does this every night, I cannot do this. Like, to my family, to myself, like, I can't. But then we went back, laid down on the couch, and he slept for like three hours. And then the sun came up, and he was the sweetest baby. He went to me, he let me hold him. I was tired, but <laughs> it was fine. It was like when the sun came up and when the night is over, then everything was okay. Ever since then, I was like, that day, I was like, please, buddy, I, I just need you to take a nap. And he 
laid down, he slept for three hours. Wow. And every day since then, he has slept for like two hours for his nap. He sleeps all night long. So I'm like, whew, this is just really so drowning. I was like, I cannot do this, I cannot do this. And then it was, then it was okay. Yeah. I applaud you because a lot of people would not have been <coughs> as determined as you were to make it work. So it was. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was fine. Little boy. It, Fifteen months. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you go? Uh, now you went for a ride in the car. Okay. Where were the other kids? My Tony was there. Oh yeah. Asleep. Asleep. She was asleep. <laughs> My husband, Tom. Oh, he was up, but you said he was going to kill you. Yeah, his baby was crying. I went around the children in our home, and they're crying all night, yeah. keeping him up. Oh, I thought he wasn't here, and he, when he found out, he was going to be over. No, he was there. He was there. Oh, Okay, so we all know that feeling, right, of, in one way or the other, of being overwhelmed. Um, and the, um, this chapter unfolds and um, focuses on David and his two stories of David and then the, a psalm that he writes. And he um, writes Psalm 69. And um, that entire psalm is him you know, kind of shaking his hands at God saying, I am so overwhelmed here. Um, but David didn't always feel overwhelmed with God. So we're going to back up for a second. First Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. Really quick, about 95% of the people in here know the story, right? <laughs> at least. Somebody tell me the story of David and Goliath. Really quick. Quick synopsis. Yeah, right. All yeah. other soldiers that feared him, that was the main story. Was everybody else that should have not been fearing him feared him, and then they should have feared him, but didn't. Right, yeah. Or at least was brave enough. To, he may have still been afraid, but yeah. brave enough to take to right. step up and do it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, David is the only one who sees God is on his side. And then God came through for him in that story, right? I think that's an amazing story. That's such a, I feel like, pillar of, you know, what we want Christianity to be. We believe that God's going to be on our side. We believe that it's through God that we're able to do something. And then it happens. And we do it. And it's because of God. God comes through. And it's this great feeling. And we feel on fire. And that's so awesome. But the reality that... Um, David shows us is that God doesn't always come through even when you believe that he's on or he doesn't come through maybe in the way that you want him to when you believe that he's on your side because he didn't always show up for for David right and so in that Psalm 69 um, as David is you know relishing in this overwhelming feeling um, he also is showing us that God is okay with us having those doubts okay with us being frustrated at those times where he doesn't come through for us um, and sometimes when it you know for David's life and for our life when it rains it pours it all comes at once um, in the book he says that you know all it feels like all at the same time you feel spiritually socially geographically um, and emotionally in a rut right it all kind of happens one thing triggers another thing and then another thing and you're in this pit. Um, so I'm going to read 
Psalm 69, 6 through 9. So I'm skipping the first few verses, but it says, Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my mother's to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Right, so David is having family issues, he's having spiritual issues. All of these things have culminated into one experience for him, and that's what he's talking about. And the interesting piece of this too is um, at times David's zeal for God is what seems to cause his problems. So we look at 2 Samuel 6 um, which is when David is on fire for God he's building the city of Jerusalem and he has this great idea to move the Ark of the Covenant, right? And what a noble thing for him to do, right? And he's working for God and on fire for God and God's going to work through him and then what happens? Who knows what happens when they're moving the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody? Slips and somebody reaches up to catch it. And they're struck dead. That's insane, right? He's reaching <coughs> to catch this holy thing that has been created for God. He's trying to help and because of him trying to help He's is striked dead. Is that the right form of that word? He's stricken, stricken dead. He's struck dead. Um, I'll read that little. Let me find that. Or does anybody else want to read it? Second Samuel six three through eight. Anybody got it? Um, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of, I don't know, Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with, with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry, angry because the Lord had brought forth against Uzzah. And the place... We don't need to know that. Because I can't So this happens and David is angry. And in my mind, I would argue kind of justifiably angry, right? I mean, that's... It, it seems ridiculous, um, and it seems so unfair that you know they're. I mean, they're making merriment in God's name and all of this stuff, and then this terrible thing happens, um, and David is afraid and he's angry and he's frustrated. Um, I'm going to read a little passage from this book. Um, 
and says this side of eternity we may not get to see what God is ultimately doing about the injustice in our world. We may never fully comprehend why God acts or doesn't act in certain circumstances. In fact, it may be arrogant of us to think that our minds are able to grasp the intricacies and interwoven casual connections in our universe. Perhaps one day it will be explained to us. Somehow David is able to move on in his relationship with God and this incident does not become a permanent barrier. And I think, too, the fact that David is able to move on is, you know, a testament to David and his, his faithfulness um, in that. I'm going to pause. Thoughts on all of that? One thing that just came to me is how, when you were reading that, is that um, we can, maybe we are pretty dismissive of some, sometimes of some of the specifics God gives us in our behavior or what we allow, and we're just like, oh, you know, God is love. He didn't expect me as to you know, Obedience. really do that. And, and, uh, but I, there's, even in the New Testament, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You know, we just think, well, that was in the Old Testament. But that's in the New Testament, too. And, and uh, some, we don't have the fear of God that uh, we need. I mean, perfect love does cast out fear. But, you know, one thing he said, because uh, he talked about behaviors, there is no fear of God in the land. And uh, so, you know, we just like, oh, oh, God's love. He's not. He's gonna be okay with that, and don't realize that he's he can be pretty uh, concerned about the details of you know, life. Yeah. It's not really related to the question about David's <laughs> even though he was upset there definitely are things that are hard for us to understand sometimes but that I'm I mean I appreciate what you said that that maybe someday we will understand it better we we don't have the I mean it's sometimes we almost get caught up in our own arrogance to think that we actually would know something a, a better way or a better plan than God has you know brought forth whatever and it's it's Sometimes I think, I think, you know, again, these stories are hard for me. They are hard for me. But I think that sometimes God is saying, I, I've told you, I am God. There are consequences. Yeah, for sure. Other thoughts on any of that? Thoughts on the first part of it, too, of, of what God does and, and the anger David feels or, you know, that, that David starts to move on from it. I agree with Chris. Is it Chris? Mm -hmm. When he talks about there's so many things about God that because we are human, we literally cannot comprehend. And, you know, we, ne we never will. We can continue to search. And it's good that we search and try to find answers, but, you know, we will never in our form be able to find that. And... You know, maybe God will let us know one day, but I believe that God has a plan for everything and everything is related. And so the death of one man you know, 
it is probably to God related to something and caused something else to happen. So he had a plan for it. But I think the faithfulness and love and trust that we're supposed to have that God is knowing what he's doing kind of trumps everything else and should trump all the questions that we have about why something bad happens. The Bible is chock full of men and women who wrestle with God. And I and I, I think that's a, I think that's the natural you know progression of relationship is that when you question things and then you you know so I mean it's 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 very important. It's very important yeah. part of our own spiritual journeys to wrestle with things. I think if we never wrestle with anything, I think that we're not challenging ourselves properly. Yeah. Totally. You were talking, I wanted to share this too about the, when I had the children, had the three children, and struggled so much. But when I look, think of all the things that happened as a result of that, you know, like um, I, who thought I could, you know, who walked according to the law and thought, well, I can handle this and I can, um, but then I saw how. So many times I'd lose it, you know, and, and uh, it came, I became aware of my sinfulness and my need of the Savior. And so, you know, I was reborn, you know, born again because of that experience. Also, I learned about the help of the Holy Spirit to help me through all this. And then it was not until they were 12 years old that I can remember, you know, driving down the road and just asking that question, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? And uh, James Dobson said, I was listening to him, and he said, children have two natures. One is the nature that is God nature, and the other is the endemic nature. And he said, uh, uh, that's what we're dealing with as parents. Both natures, but he said, uh, our job of parents is to you know, nurture the God nature, but deal with the endemic nature. And it was like a light bulb. I'm like, oh, that's why it's hard. You know, <laughs> you're dealing with <coughs> battles that are rebellious and <laughs> difficult. <laughs> so it was just, you know, all that God is teaching us so many things in all these experiences of discouragement and yeah. frustration. Yeah, I wonder if, if David would have written this or whoever wrote this account. If they would have said, "Now, David, what did you learn from that experience?" Like, yeah. I wonder what he would have said, "Like, well, I would have learned you got to follow the rule." You know, yeah. I wonder what he would have said. Put your takeaways. Yeah, I'm sure there's a song about it. But, yeah, what are your takeaways from the, you know as a being shut down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, regardless, though, David does move on. He kind of picks himself back up. He after. I guess even grieving that experience, he, um, you know, decides to follow through with his plan. Um, 2 Samuel 6, 14 says, Wearing a linen ephod, um, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. So they kind of redo what they, their original purpose. Um, but 
that's not the end of the story, right? There's still more experiences that David goes through. And just a few verses later, um, in that same chapter, verse 20, it says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. So he's tries to do something good through God, as I strikes dead. He goes through a grieving process. He's frustrated with God. He doesn't understand. He says, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it again. I have faith in God. I maybe don't know why he did that, but I'm still going to have faith in him. He starts to move the Ark of the Covenant again. And I mean, with, with great joy, with a great example of um, just how we can be joyous for the Lord. And then those accomplishments his worship, his hospitality, his passion are all met with hate by the people around him. Thoughts on that? Experiences in that? <laughs> Reading further on, um, he defends himself. He's like, I'm, I am rejoicing before the Lord. What you, you know, and all of you are being hateful towards me, basically, is what I got from it. Um, and then at the end, it says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So it was like, oh. <laughs> 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 she, uh, she punished because she rebuked David because of his, because of the outward appearance, you know, because he was being risky, risque in front of the, when really in his heart he was rejoicing the Lord, you know, oof, I don't know, that's, Any other thoughts on that? Anybody see any parallels to other stories in the Bible to to David's accomplishments, worship, hospitality, and passion being met with hate? Basically, all of Jesus's life on earth. Right. You know, yeah. He goes into the temple and sees and sees things being sold in the temple, and he has righteous anger. Or when he's, you know, doing stuff on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are like, "Wait, hold up! You can't do that." I mean, there's so many examples throughout his life. Yeah, totally. And we also see Jesus quoting Psalm 69, which was written by David, I, we think, in reflection to all of these overwhelming experiences that he went through. Um, so we know that Jesus felt at least um, similar to how David was feeling with all of these experiences. Um, John 15, 24, and 25. Anybody want to read it? I'm saying a lot today. John 15, 24 and 25. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. So again, you know, they, these people are being hateful for no reason 
to Jesus just like they were to David. Um, and then one more passage, Romans 15, 2 and through 3. Is anybody... Mm-hmm. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached me, you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that though endurance and the and, excuse me, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture we may have hope. So in that. Um third verse he is quoting psalm 69 9 um, which are you know david's words of frustration of overwhelm being overwhelmed um a quote from the book says paul wants um in romans paul is writing he says paul wants jesus's passion for god despite criticisms and insults to become a model for us so um if we read on in Psalm 69. Go back over there. I should have marked all these places. Um, So Psalm 69, um, starting... Which verse does it start in? Um, I guess verse 16 is where that starts. Um, Yeah, starting in verse 13. Um... David asked for four things. He asked for rescue, he asked for reconciliation, retribution, and redemption. Okay. Sorry, I'm keeping up with all my notes here and all my different places. (laughs) Um, So the first thing he asked for is um, rescue, and um, the Psalms show us how to be rescued is to bring everything to God in prayer. Um, The book says... Our prayer life can become so self-serving that we lose sight of God and others. Maybe it's not that God makes himself a stranger by failing to intervene every time we ask for help. Perhaps we make God a stranger by ignoring the things he cares about. While being encouraged by David that even when our relationship with God feels distant, we can freely bring our rescue prayers to him. At the same time, this psalm challenges us to return often in reflection on God's honor and God's concerns. Do we feel like prayer is um, for asking for a rescue like David was? Which I think we do at times, right? When you feel overwhelmed, you want, you want to be saved. If you feel like you're about to drown in water, you want someone to rescue you. Do we feel like prayer is an outlet of um, us to be rescued? Any other thoughts on that? There's just something kind of redemptive about, you know, simply saying out loud and speaking those is is a humbling thing. I think that that you you're just really enunciating these things that are troubling you. I mean, I think God knows them anyway. I'm just saying, but I just think that's part of our own development and. In the defeat of our pride, that we allow to really speak those things out. Yeah. I know that if somebody says "I'm sorry" to me, that I want them to say "I'm sorry for," or "I'm sorry," be- not necessarily because, but "I'm sorry for." 
and why the reason why they're you know what is it instead of just saying oh sorry like well what for what are you sorry about and I kind of feel that I was thinking the same thing that I think God knows everything that we think and that are in our, it's in our hearts but sometimes it's maybe he wants us to hear the words out loud or sure. to say them to him directly of you know I'm drowning you know what's in my heart you know help me or don't pick me up you know yeah. to actually ask for it um, ask for the help and it's humbling for sure. Yeah. So the second thing he asked for is reconciliation. Um, and we see that in verse 16 through 21. It says, Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love, and your great mercy turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforts, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Thoughts on that? There's one funny thing about, or interesting thing about um, Psalm, are we out of time? Psalm 69 is also is just the... Um, the difference in Psalm 69 versus, like, for example, Psalm 23. You know, there's such a change of um, how David is speaking and what he is speaking about, you know, and um, which is, I think, reflective of, of his life as well. You know, there's these great moments and then there's these really overwhelming um, moments. He, David recognizes that he has a distance from God, yet he still, in these moments, though, turns to God. <laughs> yeah. um, does anybody see another parallel in, in this part of scripture to something else? My thirst begins Yeah. <laughs> so, um, right, we see that when Jesus um, is being crucified. He, um, and, and Krish goes into the whole, like, explanation of gall and your food and what that means. And, and, um, in that, you know, analogy and, and how um, Christ was given vinegar on the cross. Um, Matthew twenty seven thirty four. Anyone want to read that? Anybody got it? <laughs> Making everybody be all over the place in your Bibles. Thirty four. Mm -hmm. uh, there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Yeah, so there's the parallel with it. Um, which David is looking for reconciliation here in this psalm um, for himself. Who is Jesus looking for reconciliation for? For the world, right? Um, when he's on the cross, he's looking for that reconciliation. So, um, the third thing that David asked for is retribution. Um, so verse 22 through 29 says, May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution. 
may it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. Are we out of time? I mean, I can. We'll, we'll talk about that one really quick. That's the second to last one. But um, So that's like David's call for vengeance is... Um, really disturbing in a way I think to us and it's not the only call for vengeance um, in in the Bible right and that's something we don't talk about a lot but sometimes we feel that way right we feel vengeance towards others um, and I think we have or Chris says we have three options with our feelings we can either a act on our feelings we can deny or bury our feelings which typically they come out elsewhere or we can place in the hands of God so that's what David is doing. I think even though his words are disturbing, he's placing that vengeance he feels in the hands of God because he understands um, that he doesn't have the right amount of judgment to carry out vengeance, right? God is the only one that has the right judgment to carry out that vengeance. Um, okay, one more passage in the book. I think all those emotions that we feel are, are natural, and I think they are from God. I think the thing that's hard sometimes is, is being honest with ourselves and, and finding out where it, where is the source of that. Because often I find myself, it's, it's me being defensive of something else in my life and, and, and wanting to, you know, I don't know, uh, distract or... Or kind of cast it away and not being honest with myself and looking introspectively of why I'm upset or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, the book says, Notice that David does not say he is going to wreck the lives of those who hurt him. He asked God, he asked that God should do that. God forbade us vengeance, not because vengeance is wrong, but because vengeance is his alone. Um, and it goes on to say again what I said, you know, we don't have the judgment for that. Um, so then I think, you know, we take these three things that David asked for, these first three things, and we say, so what do we do now if we, um, we don't act on our feelings, we don't deny them, um, we place them in the hands of God, and then it's like, now what do we get to do? Like, we don't get to carry out that vengeance. Um, and David and God teach us to show hospitality, to love, and to bring healing. Um, you know, Jesus, all these parallels from David to Jesus, when David was um, crying out for these certain things, we see Jesus, you know, asking for um, reconciliation for the world. He cries out for the foreigners. Um, and then the last thing, I'll go super fast, that um, David asked for is redemption. So verse 30 through 36. I will praise God's name in a song and